Uh, it's great to be with you guys. Sometimes I don't even know where I'm at, so that, make, that makes two of us. Uh, it's been a crazy, crazy last year, that's for sure, probably for many of us with COVID, and I have been all over the place uh, in Afghanistan, out of Afghanistan, in Kuwait, Dubai, Chicago, Louisville, Memphis, you name it. I think I've been there. Uh, maybe it's easier to, to, to talk about what places I haven't been. So, but uh, it's great to be here with you guys. You know, um, we just celebrated Thanksgiving, and I just want us to pause for a minute, and I want you to think about uh, what are you thankful for? Uh, not just past, but present. What are you thankful for? Just take a minute or 30 seconds and think about some things you're thankful for. And um, yeah, I just want us to do that this morning because I don't know about you, I have so much to be thankful for. Let's just pause in your mind uh, as an act of worship to God. Thank him. And for whatever things comes to your mind right now, just thank him. One thing I'm really thankful for is singing. I know that might sound weird, but singing out loud. I was in Afghanistan with um, my staff. We went on a retreat and we had rented his parents, his parents of one of the staff have two homes uh, and we had one of them. And so we were able to sing. And it was the first time my staff had ever sung a worship song to God. And then bizarre. I mean, we we take it so for granted. And so every time I've been back here in a church service singing, I'm just like, God, this is so amazing. What a privilege to sing, to lift my voice to you without having to worry about who might come through the door if they hear and arrest us. Yeah, you are blessed. You are so blessed whenever you come just to be able to lift up your voice without worrying about anything and to sing to our Savior and to our God. And man, I was touched watching these guys, you know, and they were so touched by worship. And then we get back to Kabul and we can't do that anymore because we live close to other residents who could hear us or the guys that are Muslims in the program that could hear us. And so we can't do it anymore. So it was a one-off for them. But man, they loved it. Their hearts were so encouraged. Think about that. I mean, how long have you been praising God? Most of you, since you were a kid growing up, this was the first time to sing a worship song to Jesus. I, that, so I'm very grateful uh, just to be able to do that. Uh, each time I'm in a church here, I'm just like, God, what a, what a privilege to sing. So I encourage you guys next week when you're here, Think about what a privilege you have to sing. Wow, that's a blessing. So since we've started Advent, I'm going to give you an early Christmas message. So I want to ask you, what do you want for Christmas? And that's what our parents always asked us when we were kids. What do you want? Or we ask our wife or our husband. So in this part, probably they have so much, we don't even know what to get them. And it makes buying gifts challenging. Or what are your expectations for Christmas? Yeah. Presents and pretty decorated trees, nice children's program, fun and games, a nice manger scene, Christmas carols, 
good family memories, joy, peace, a better job, a better marriage, better kids, better parents, if you're kids. What are your expectations? All of these are nice and good, but what if God has something else in mind for you this Christmas? Maybe some unexpected, disruptive grace. Hmm. What do I mean by that? Well, let's look at the first Christmas story. And I hope, you know, we know these stories so well, we don't know them. We know them and we've seen manger scenes and we've seen all, but we really don't know them. So we're going to look at Luke 1.26 through 2.20, but we're going to take them by sections. And we'll look at verse 26 through 29 right now. Luke 1.26, actually through 30. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings to you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. Unexpected, disruptive grace unexpectedly finds us. Grace unexpectedly finds Mary. We never find grace. Mary is shocked, troubled, highly favored. What? And whenever God finds us and reveals his favor to us, it's shocking. It is for me. I mean, I, I am constantly like, why me? Why, why have you been so gracious to open my eyes to your reality and then allow me to be a part of your unfolding redemption? Not only that, use me in spite of my sinfulness, despite my, my botching it, but despite my failure, despite all the junk in my heart. Wow. Grace always finds us. It never is we find grace. We don't find God. He's not lost. You know, it's not like, oh, I found God. Well, where was he? Under the Christmas tree? Or, you know, where did God disappear? No, we're lost and he finds us. And that is amazing. God is the one who is always looking for us, has a heart for us, and through the eyes of grace sees us much differently than we see ourselves. I love the story of Gideon. He's hiding in a wine press trying to thrash some wheat. You usually don't do that in a wine press. Those are little rooms. You usually do it in a big open area where the wind is blowing. But he's hiding for fear of the Amorites and Midianites and all the ites. And God appears in an angel and says, Oh, mighty warrior, or in the language of the country I'm at, mighty hero. And Gideon looks around and it's like, me? Here he is afraid, and he's, and he's hiding, and God's grace sees him as a mighty warrior. Isn't that amazing how God sees us so much differently than we are see ourselves? Because that's grace. And Christmas always has been and always will be a revelation of God seeking unmerited love, grace, and favor. Amen. And we like that, right? Amen. But he seeks us out to become a conduit of his grace, to be a part of his redeeming love, to be partners in revealing his love. But that can lead to some unexpected, 
disruptive times. Let's look at 35, 31 to 37. You, the angel goes on to say, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? The angel said, answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow. So the Holy One will to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. She who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word of God will ever fail. There is a problem here. Or maybe it's with us. The problem is our expectations of grace and blessings are really colored and influenced by our desire for an easy life or an easier life or a better life. Or maybe influenced by our culture's constant telling us we deserve a better life of ease. And there is a drug, literally a drug or alcohol or car or relationship or phone or computer. If you just had it, your life would be better or a house or whatever it is that we think this will make my life so much better. And if we just have that, if we can just get God to give us that, that would be his grace. But in the original story of God's grace and favor, it totally disrupts Mary's life. Disruptive grace means, well, disruptive. Disruptive, causing trouble, and therefore stopping something from continuing as usual. Mary's life was totally disrupted by this grace, and it did not continue as usual. You have Joseph questioning, should he put her away quietly? Wow. The alternative was to take her to the square and do a public execution of stoning. Because how did she get pregnant? Oh, well, God, God made me pregnant. Right. Every guy wants to hear that. Very much like Afghanistan today. If she'd been caught in Afghanistan pregnant without, uh, the vice police would take her out and have her stoned. And most likely the village people were appalled and gossiped about her as they see her expanding. Then there's Joseph's family and probably her own family, other than Elizabeth, who have most likely disowned her. She shamed the family. Hmm. Grace. Do you think Mary always felt blessed, favored? Yet this was favor. This was grace and privilege, but it did not make Mary's life easier or more convenient. This great grace disrupted all her plans and things she had previously dreamed about and wanted. Yet it was privilege, favor, grace. How? How was that grace? Well, Mary's given the privilege to birth Jesus, the Savior of the world, the one who would embody and reveal the grace and love of the Father. But it disrupted everything. Let me, let's look at history of grace in action. Do you think Moses always felt very favored with his call to try and move two million fickle, slow-to-believe people? Do you think he always felt blessed and, wow, grace, amen? How about Job? Do you think he felt grace? What about Esther? 
She becomes the wife of a tyrant. She becomes actually the sex toy of a tyrant. Oh, thank you for the grace, Lord. Amen. More grace. How about Jeremiah? Hmm. The first Christmas was not a nice time for Mary. It was totally disruptive and difficult. But it was grace. You know, I went to Afghanistan kicking and screaming. Why are you disrupting my nice life and ministry in Mongolia? I just bought an apartment. Why now? Why? And yes, the best seven years of my life it's become. Isn't that wild? I went there saying, why? Resisting, frustrated, angry. Why are you doing this to me, God? And then it turns out to be the best seven years of my life. There's a man named Dan Bauman. He spent six weeks, nine weeks in a prison in Iran, being beaten every day. And yet, that was God's way to reveal Jesus to these prison guards. What about you? Where might God this Christmas be bringing you an unexpected, inconvenient, disruptive grace? Where might God be moving you out of your comfort zone? I remember Christmas Eve many years ago when I was at Teen Challenge. I volunteered as a, uh, a volunteer chaplain at Children's Hospital. And that means when the pastors or priests are all gone, they call me. Christmas Eve, I get a call. And I go to the hospital, and there's a woman holding her four-year-old who had run out to follow his sister out the door who forgot to lock the door and got struck by a car. And he was dead. And she's just hold, holding him, weeping. What are you going to say? Disrupted my Christmas. Thank God. Because I could be grace to her. Just sat there weeping with her. But where might God want to disrupt your Christmas? This Christmas. Verse 36 and 37. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. Disruptive grace often comes with promises. Signposts to encourage us that our as our lives are being disrupted, we're not alone. There's other people there. There's signposts pointing to grace. Elizabeth, the signpost was, you're not alone. Here in her old age, she's having an experience of the impossible to have a child. And so this privilege of unexpected grace is, is there. There's signposts all around us if we look. When our lives are being disrupted, when unexpected things are happening, God will often put a signpost, someone else or something else, to encourage us this is actually grace even though it's disruptive, even though it's not fun. How many of us want to experience the impossible, to see God do the impossible? And Okay, I'm, I was glad there's a couple of us. All right. All right. How many of you want to be put in impossible situations where you need God to do the impossible? Yeah, we all laugh because we're like, no. <laughs> see, we want the grace... We just don't want to be put in the situation to have to experience that grace. And unfortunately, that's why so many of us don't experience 
that grace. Instead, when grace comes and it disrupts our plans and disrupts all that we want, we're angry and we're calling down on God to remove the things that are disrupting our plans, to remove the blockades, to make life easier because that's what we want grace to do. Well, how do we respond to unexpected disruptive grace? Verse 38, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. Listen to this, guys. I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. I am the Lord's servant. We sing those songs, hands held, heart open to you, given to you. God, do what you want until he does what he wants. Right? Then the hands go down and we're like, God, why are you doing this? Where are you? Why have you disrupted my life? But Mary's heart was, I am the Lord's servant. She took that seriously. May it be to me as you have said. I hate to say, sadly, my natural response is to get angry with God. When I was in the U.S. and God spoke to me to go to, to Mongolia, I was like, no, why are you doing this to me? When I was in Mongolia and God spoke to me to go to Afghanistan, it took me a year of fighting with God. Eventually, I got to the merry point. But so often, guys, what, is, what it is, is we find out how much Jesus is Lord when God's plans and our plans come to a crossroad. We find out how much he's Lord when he asks us for our money, or he asks us for our time, or he asks us to lay down our lives, or he interrupts all of our plans. Then we find out, am I really the Lord's servant? Do to me as you would like. Is that really, really true? We'll find out. We often do when, when nothing goes our way. So what about you, me, us, this Christmas, Thanksgiving season? Are our hearts bowed to God for his unexpectedly, possibly disruptive grace? Do we see that there may be a bigger purpose to Christmas, life beyond our own life being better, easier, uninterrupted, or disrupted from the pursuit of our own happiness and success? Hmm. What if God were to call you to Afghanistan? or to Iran, or to Iraq, or to Somalia, or Yemen, or some other difficult place, or to stay home and take care of a sick parent, or to stay in a difficult marriage, or to witness to your boss, or to lovingly confront someone, or to be birthed into a dysfunctional family. That's what was mine. Privilege, it was a privilege. It wasn't felt like that at the time. I was with my sisters this weekend during Thanksgiving, and. We were watching a Michelle, Michelle Obama interview, and my sister started to weep because my mom was not like that to her. My mom actually hated my middle sister, and at one point called her a little Hitler because she had blonde hair and blue eyes. Now, my mom had mental problems, but that hurt my sister so deeply. 45 years later, Seeing a good, healthy relationship between a mother and daughter that brought up all that pain. And yet later on that night when we discussed it, 
we both feel privileged to have gone through that because she is a counselor and has wept with many people and been there, a compassionate counselor because of what she's gone through. I believe God prepared me to help drug addicts because I've been through so much as a dysfunctional family that I have a heart of compassion for people that are broken. Where and how does God want to show his grace through you, us, to people somehow else, Afghan refugees, maybe to someone in a hospital where you are not visiting them, you're the patient. There is a, a young lady named Leandra. Her dad went through Teen Challenge and she was an amazing, I think I've told this story before. Leandra was 20 or 21 when she got leukemia. She was at Evangel Bible School or college and she'd been an athlete all her life, beautiful, never sick, and then she fainted, blacked out, and then it happened again. And so they took blood samples, they found out she had this rare leukemia, they flew her back, she was in Children's Hospital, uh, I think it was Children's Hospital, it might have been a different one. But I remember going to visit her, and she radiated joy, lost all her hair from chemo, wouldn't wear a wig, she said, this is who I am. And I remember her saying to me, John, I always wanted to follow you as a missionary. I always wanted to be a missionary. I just never thought it would be in a cancer ward. But this is where God's put me. And she went around to every room sharing the gospel. And people listened. Because she wasn't a visiting pastor saying, yeah, I know what you're going through. When we have no clue. And, but I'm here for you. Probably not. But she knew, and she died a year later. And I remember she told me one day a Jewish doctor who was her main doctor walked in, closed the door behind her, and said, you know, I'm a very busy man, Leandra. And she said, yeah, I know, you're the head doctor here. He said, but you have an hour of my time to tell me what makes you tick, because I have never met a young lady like you. In the midst of suffering, you radiate joy. You know why? Because of the land Leandra embraced. This is God's disruptive grace in my life. And this is where I'm to be a missionary. This is what God's plan for me is. To declare Jesus with authority in the midst of going through cancer. And she did. And every doctor and nurse, I did her eulogy. Every doctor and nurse came to her funeral. And I shared the gospel. That's what she asked me to do. Take the opportunity, John, when I die, to preach the gospel to these people. Wow. Wow. Is that the kind of grace we really want that disrupts our lives and maybe puts us in a cancer ward to be a missionary there? Because those people will hear us going through it if we can embrace that as God's plan. Wow. It's very quiet here. I'm not sure why. Um, the grace that just keeps on giving. More unexpected God disruptions. God taking us up on our willingness to be his servant. This is Mary. Luke 2, 1 through 7. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree and that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place where while Quintus was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth to Galilee and Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting child. 
While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. If you're pregnant with the Son of God, the Messiah, what would your expectations be? Hmm. And how about traveling on a donkey in the last weeks of your pregnancy for some ill-timed census? Wouldn't you be wondering, God, why now? I mean, why? I mean, really on a donkey now? Couldn't you have changed this, Lord? And how about Joseph's family helping with the birth? Why were they even having to look for a place? Because Joseph's from Jerusalem. He has family there. I'll tell you why, just like Afghanistan. The family's ashamed of them. And couldn't God provide a room in a Holiday Inn or a Marriott or somewhere? I mean, couldn't we have some clean conditions? I mean, this is the birth of your son, your Messiah, the King of Israel. I mean, really? In a manger pen? Are you for real? Isn't this how we often feel? God, if your grace is on my life, if your favor is on my life, why aren't you making it easier? Why are you, you not providing? Why are you not taking care of? Why are you making all these things seemingly go ungracious? It sure doesn't feel like favor right now. I'm sure those questions might have gone through Mary's head, through Joseph. I'm sure he's like, oh my gosh, my wife's pregnant. I got to take her on this donkey. We get into Jerusalem. My family doesn't want anything to do with us. Oh, and because there's all these gazillion people there, there's no room for us. And we end up in a pen with animals to have the birth of the Son of God. Really? Grace? Wow. Our expectations of how we think God's grace should work often keep us from experiencing the very grace we need and want. Let me say that again. Our expectations of how we think God's grace should work often keep us from experiencing the very grace we need and want. As I said to you guys, me, I'm, I'm back right now because there was a security situation that pulled me out of Afghanistan. And then I was supposed to go back October 21st. And then some more security things came up and that blocked me. And I was angry with my sending organization. I was like, God, why are you doing this? The guys need me, right? They need me over God's grace. I mean, well, you know, I'm not that important, but, you know, surely they need me. But no, God's like, no, not really. They need me. Yeah. And I needed to be here because I've run into so many Afghans and been an encouraging voice to them because I speak Farsi, I speak Dari, and I've visited them all over the place. And now I'm starting to realize, God, this was you. This was you. Well, that first Christmas was super inconvenient and disruptive. So if this is our model. Hmm. This is our model. Maybe we need to rethink how God does grace. Yeah. Let's go on and see why. Why does God allow this? Luke 2, 8 through 20. 
And there were shepherds living in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angels, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, in highest heaven, on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what they had been told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the, I love this line. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which was just as they had been told. The wild purpose of unexpected disruptive grace. Shepherds in Eland and in that time were seen as dirty, illiterate, and unreligious. They were seen the same way that maybe that the first Christmas in Jerusalem. They were those kind of people. In a sense, they were the outcasts, the drug addicts of the day, the homeless of the day, the lowlifes of the day. You know, the people we don't want our kids to be around, and neither do we. You know, when I go to airport, every time I go to the airport in Kabul, there's all these beggar kids that tap on the windows trying to give you a mask or trying, and, and I, it breaks my heart every time because the driver will always put the window up like that makes them go away. You know, they're those kind of people. Watch out, John. Don't have your phone in your right hand. The window's down. They might grab it and take it. They're those kind of people. So of all people the angels could have appeared to, who do they appear? The religious, the wealthy, the politically connected and powerful, the nice good people in the nice neighborhoods and the clean neighborhoods of Jerusalem? No. Dirty, illiterate, irreligious shepherds. The first Christmas is a mission statement of, in action. I came to seek and to save those who are lost. And ah, uh, that would be all of us. But some of us know we're lost, and others of us cover it up, our lostness with wealth, religion, power, niceness, etc. I can imagine those shepherds are utterly shocked by the angel's appearance. It's totally unexpected. They're the wrong people. That's why verse says, 9 says they were terrified. They're probably expecting to get smoked, vaporized by the angel. Why us? That's grace. They're the wrong people. Don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Suddenly a great cloud of company of hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. They were probably so shocked. But again, this is unexpected, interruptive, disruptive grace. God's very heart. 
So their response, let's go check it out. And here's the amazing things, guys. Because Mary and Joseph are in an animal pen, they're accessible to the shepherds. If they'd been at Joseph's home with all his family, you think those shepherds would have had a chance of getting in to see the baby? You think if they're in the Marriott or the Holiday Inn or a nice maternity ward of, of St. Joseph's Hospital, they would have had a chance of getting in? The purpose of disruptive, unexpected grace is to make the grace of God that he's deposited in us accessible to people that would never, ever see it or hear it if we weren't disrupted. Hmm. Wow. Here's these shepherds, the lowlifes, being able to be the first people to see and experience the Lord Jesus, the Messiah, the hope of Israel, because he's accessible, because Mary and Joseph's lives and all their plans were disrupted, but put them in a place where grace was accessible. Wow. Wow. What about us this Christmas? Are we just wanting God to make life easy? No disruptions, isolated from the world, from those kind of people. Is this what we think Christmas is about? Peace on earth really means my peace, my easy life, a nice Christmas with my tree and gifts and no bad people or interruptions. Is that what we're thinking Christmas really is? What if it is to disrupt us? to disrupt all our plans, to make us in a place where we're dispensers of the peace on earth. Where we're in a place where, where people that never would get a chance to, to view peace, to see peace, as, as, as Eric said, in the midst of chaos, that we dispense peace because we have the peace, the King of peace, the Lord of peace in our hearts. And so our lives get disrupted and our plans get disrupted. So somebody who would never know that peace can assess it. People say to me, oh, you, you must be afraid the Taliban have taken over. No, I, I look forward to every conversation I have with Taliban because they don't know anything about the real Jesus. They only know what some other mullah has told them. They only know what they view on TV about the West as the great Satan and think every person committing adultery and, and doing all the things we market on TV is a Christian. And so I have the, the accessibility of Jesus in me. I have the privilege to be there to present these guys who have never heard the good news. They've never seen a real Christian. They've never read the New Testament. They know nothing of the true Jesus. I have that privilege. And if that takes me to jail or to death, so be it. I want to be the bearer of peace on earth to people that have never seen it or heard it before. That's our privilege. May God disrupt us this Christmas. May he wreck our plans so that Jesus can be seen. Amen? This is how Paul put it. 2 Corinthians, Paul, whose life was constantly disrupted, 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 12. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. 
We are hard-pressed. Listen to this, guys. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. Why? So that his life may be revealed in our mortal bodies. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. What if the goal and purpose of grace in a Christian's life is not relieving pressure, stress, or adversity, but revealing of Jesus both to us and then through us? I brought a little sponge. This is God's heart, guys. Yeah. This is what Paul is saying. As, God, as his life was squeezed, Jesus was revealed more to him, his need for Jesus in his weakness, and then Jesus was revealed through him to others. We're constantly praying, no, don't squeeze me. God, get rid of this pressure. Get rid of this adversity. Take this away, God. And we're missing it. We're missing it. We're called to reveal Jesus through life and through death. Crushed but not, I mean, broken but not crushed. Perplexed but not in despair. Paul was saying, all of this adversity in my life is revealing Jesus. What a privilege, guys. What a privilege. I told you about Leandra. I told you about Dan Bauman. I've had so many stories of how God has done this. One guy, S., uh, he came to us. He, his brother had graduated through the program, and his dad had been a mullah. And his brother was really angry that his brother had become a follower with us. And he wanted to get me killed, our counselor killed, and a young man, uh, a, a local Christian killed for how we've shamed the family. But then COVID happened, and he ended up in our place dying. His oxygen level, instead of being over 90, was 60. So we got him to an emergency room. He got on oxygen. He was in our quarantine room for a month. And I remember the day he came out, he looked at me, he was angry, and he said, why are you here? You could have a nice life in America. What are you doing here? So I shared my testimony with him. And he was at the end, he was like, oh, wow. Then he met our counselor. And I asked him the day after he met her, I said, how was that? He said, I met an angel. She really is. She's an amazing young lady. She became an Afghan citizen. That's how much she loves the country. And then he met that young man, Javid. And he was like, wow, that guy's amazing. And a month later, he broke down crying to Javid and told him his plan was to get money from the Taliban, rat us out to the Taliban, get us killed, and he would get drug money. Instead, he said to Javid, how do I become like you? He's now one of the three staff running the program while I'm gone and leading others to Jesus. That's his grace. One last point, guys, and I know I've gone a little long, but I hope that you'll bear with me. Unexpected disruptive grace has disrupted the whole world order. Why were the shepherds so excited about seeing a baby? Even one labeled Savior, Messiah, Lord. What, what was it? I mean, did they go back and suddenly their, their sheep 
multiplied more and they had a better life or or their wives were easier to deal with or suddenly their kids were nicer or or somehow universities in Jerusalem opened up to their kids I mean is that why they were excited you know why all the rejoicing Habakkuk had given a promise by God the glory of the Lord will fill the earth as the water covers the sea Jesus is the glory of the Lord the promise has begun and there's no stopping. They saw the promise starting. It's like the Chronicles of Narnia. You guys know that story, right? When Arslan appears, Narnia starts to thaw. And it's irreversible and unstoppable, even though the wicked witch uses one of the kids to betray Arslan and kills Arslan. It only feeds into the promise of God's plan. There's no stopping this global warming is true and there's no stopping it guys there's no stopping what God has started they saw that baby not just as a baby they weren't worried about their sheep or getting God to make their wives nicer or their their kids nicer they saw the promise has arrived the thaw is starting and it's irreversible God has started what he said in Habakkuk the glory of the Lord is going to cover the the earth as the sea as the water covers the sea it started and we got to see it we got to see the start point and there's no stopping it Dave said, you know, God uses everything. We sang the song for his, for his good, and it's true. Romans 8, 28 through 39, we all know this passage, but let's, let's read it. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he glorified. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things. Who will bring any charge against those God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who is raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors to him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul's hope was not that I hope everything will turn out all right. It was a certainty that the thaw had begun. It's irreversible, and God will complete his redemptive purposes no matter what. You know, there's so many, I came back to the U.S. and there's so many conspiracy theories. Everyone's got one, it seems like. You go onto YouTube, you can find one about everything. Well, I do believe in one, the Jesus conspiracy. 
He is conspiring to use everything to bring about his redemptive purposes, and nothing can stop this redemptive thaw. The glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters covers the sea. Putin can't stop it. China can't stop it. The Taliban can't stop it. Whichever political party you think is at fault can't stop it. Your sin can't stop it. Your failure can't stop it. Wow. Wow. How then do we live? What is our response to this disruptive, unexpected grace? Well, I'll tell you one. To not try to get God to make life less, less disruptive, but to embrace and expect God to spread his glory through the disruptions. Merry, unexpected, disruptive Christmas.